as the chief executive of the entire county, I represent everybody, whether they're Democrats, independents like you, Scott, Republicans, and people who, quite frankly, aren't registered to vote. It's my job not to consider politics when I'm performing the vital human services that we provide at the county level. We do not need another single warehouse. No more strictly logistic big boxes. Um, the days of us needing that for economic development and job creation are over. With that being said, it's important to understand the context of how this happened. In the following interview with Lamont McClure, Northampton County Executive, you'll learn his take on the context of warehouse development in the Lehigh Valley and more. We discuss his role and responsibilities and various other issues affecting the Lehigh Valley today. This is the first in what will become a series of episodes where I meet with our elected officials and those who seek office to better understand their perspectives and what motivates them. Sometimes a listener of these types of interviews might be disappointed that the interviewer doesn't ask tougher questions, but I believe that the hyper-partisan attack-style interviews are only adding fuel to the fire. I will be looking to interview candidates from all sides of the political spectrum and learning about their perspectives, with the goal of this podcast being one small way in which the electorate can become more fully informed about their elected leaders and candidates. I'm always looking for feedback. Please send any comments or questions to sjctalks at gmail.com. I would like to thank Lamont McClure for accommodating this interview. All right. I have with me Northampton County Executive Lamont McClure. Thank you very much for joining me. Oh, it's uh, my pleasure. Thank you uh, for thinking of inviting me here today. I really appreciate it. Um, I'm hoping you can start us out by just telling the uh, listening audience, what what does the Northampton County Executive do? So uh, that's an interesting and big question. And so Pennsylvania, as you know, has 67 counties. And traditionally in Pennsylvania, we had the commissioner form of government and still do in a majority of our counties. And in the commissioner form of government, the legislative and executive branches are unified. So there is a there the powers of the executive and the legislative branch are unified under the commissioners. And the law requires that there are three commissioners to be from the majority party that wins the election and one from the minority party uh, that was unsuccessful in obtaining the majority in the election. In Northampton County in the late 70s, our citizens decided by referendum to adopt a home rule charter, which created a county council, which is our legislative body. It's nine members, five elected at large and four elected by district and an independently elected county executive. Now to answer your question directly that you asked, what does the county executive do? The county executive is the chief administrative officer of the county of Northampton. And uh, tangentially, the uh, county of Lehigh, although our home rule charters are not identical, they are very similar. And the county uh, of Lehigh also has an independently elected county executive and a board of commissioners. So, okay. so it's my job as count as the elected county executive to administer the county. Okay, and you know I look on your on the website of the county executive, and I see that there are numerous um, 
boards and commissions which you have the responsibility of appointing people to uh starting with that that's correct so um the home rule charter uh, empowers the county executive to make appointments to authorities boards and commissions and gives the power of confirmation similar to the state senate or the united states senate gives the power of confirmation to county council okay um so how does it play out in your day-to-day -day job? What, what do you find yourself focused on the most? It, does it change from day-to-day -day or week-to-week? Or do you, what are your overarching uh, goals? Right, well, so this is, the best, this is the best job I ever had. I love being county executive of the county of Northampton. That isn't to say that there aren't challenges. So at the county level, we provide the services um, that you hope you never need, um, but if you do, um, we are here to provide them in the safest, most efficient, taxpayer-friendly way. For example, it is our responsibility to manage the Northampton County Prison. Uh, another example is we run the largest nursing home under one roof in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, Gracedale. Uh, we provide human services, which includes children, youth, and families. So very often when people are interacting with the county government, they're interacting at, at, at a time in their life when they are um, in crisis or more vulnerable than they otherwise would like to be or have gotten in some trouble. So um, that's what we do sort of broadly at the county. Now, I would be remiss if I didn't tell you that one of the important jobs that the county does is to create the environment to have a court system. So it's our responsibility to build or maintain a well, and maintain a courthouse. So there could be courtrooms in there and offices so that the judges and their law clerks and the district attorney and the assistant district attorneys can all do their work. And it's the county's responsibility to make sure that the environment and the physical plant is in place for the justice system uh, to move uh, forward slowly so that we can all uh, get equal justice under the law. That's interesting. And does the uh, Board of Elections also fall under the, uh, the purview of the county? Yes, it does. The, the Board of Elections, very interestingly, because of home rule, the Board of Elections actually is um, under the uh, jurisdiction, uh, it, it has coordinate jurisdiction with respect to elections in Northampton County with the county executive. So with things becoming more polarized on the national stage, uh, what do you see as the, uh, the opportunities and the challenges moving into the fall election cycle and going into 2024 as well? Well, so I'm, I'm glad you asked that question because in Northampton County, we pride ourselves on putting on fair, legal, and accurate elections. And they, they would stand up to any scrutiny. Um, so in 2019, I don't know how much, Scott, I don't know how much of this story you know, but in 2019, we had to, uh, because of state law, state law changed, and we had to change our voting system. And we got a new voting system. And it didn't work because of some of the mistakes that our vendor ESNS had made in their factory before they rolled out their system to us. The good news was 
the system had a paper ballot backup. And we were able to count the paper ballot backups to ensure that we had a legal, fair, and accurate election. But I would be misleading you if I said in 2019, that was a smooth course. It was a very rough course, but we learned so much from it. And from that day forward, we brought an extra level of commitment to making sure that people felt confident about the results in Northampton County uh, with respect to our elections. So as we moved into 2020, which as you know, was a tumultuous election and tumultuous time, we made sure that everything went as smoothly as could have possibly gone. And as a matter of fact, we were the first to report our results, both in the primary and in the general election in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania in 2020, and things went very smoothly. It wasn't easy. There were a lot of people involved. Our elections division did a tremendous job. We had volunteers from all over the county who helped us and assisted us in making sure that the election went as smoothly as possible. We had over a thousand judges of elections and other poll workers working on uh, our elections in 2020 because it was a presidential and it had a great deal of interest and so many people voted. And you have to remember, this was the first time that Act 77, which was in place, uh, which created vote by mail in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania for the first time. No excuse, absentee balloting is what they called it. And by the way, I think Act 77 is a tremendous boon to voting. It, democrat it further democratizes our elections in Northampton County and in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. And what I mean by that is, if you're like me, an adherent of democracy, you want more people to vote, right? And that's what we're always trying to do. We're trying to make voting as accessible for as many of our citizens as we possibly can. And Act 77 and vote by mail really did make um, voting even more accessible. It expanded democracy. And if you think democracy is a good thing as we do here in Northampton County, you really can take advantage of Act 77 and get lots of people involved in the process, including many people who are disabled and have a very difficult time getting to the polls. So one of the criticisms of the way Pennsylvania handled mail-in voting, that as far as I understand it, and, and from talking with people who don't live in Pennsylvania, there's this perception that, that um, Pennsylvania didn't comply with the with the constitution as far as any changes to the voting must be done by the legislature and because that rule came through the senate they viewed that to be unconstitutional my my thought in response to that was that the senate is part of the legislature uh, do do you have any am i framing that issue the concern the general concern of people who were saying Pennsylvania. Well, I'm not sure. I, I, I'm not sure I agree with the facts, and, okay. and because of that, I'd have to gently push back on the premise. I believe Act 77 was passed by the legislature, which okay. would which would require it to be passed by both the House and Senate and signed into law by the governor. Uh, so that's my understanding of how Act 77 came to be. Uh, sure. If I'm incorrect about that, I, I will. I will be happy to stand corrected, but I believe that it was a constitutional process. And I should say, um, 
It was a Republican legislature that did that. The, uh, to this day and at the time Act 77 was passed, the Republicans were in charge of the state Senate and the Republicans were in charge of the state house and they thought it would be a great law. And I have to agree with them at they were right at the time. Act 77 is a great law. Great. This kind of leads me into one of the uh, questions that I had farther on down the list, but are local politics as polarized as what we see on a national level? Or do you find that you're able to, to work more in concert and comedy with your, uh, with your, with your Republicans and, and the local level? No, they are not. They are not as polarized at the local level as they are national level. It, that isn't to say we don't have our disagreements and that on occasion, the national disagreements don't work their way down to us. That, that wouldn't be true if I said that. Um, but it's, it's much easier to work across the aisle uh, at the local level than it is at the national level. So how does being a Democrat affect your work and your perspective? And, and why did you choose the Democratic Party? Um, and, and how does that inform how you do your job? So the Democratic Party originally was chosen for me by my parents, uh, who were Democrats. When, it, when I turned 18 and it came time to register to vote, I said, how should I register? And they said, well, we're Democrats. You should register as a Democrat. Um, I came of age, I turned uh, 18 in 1988, which was sort of toward the end of the Reagan era. So I, I came up in that era and um, it wasn't uh, clear to me um, that the Democratic Party at age 18, the Democratic Party was uh, my home. And then I went to college and uh, I was a major in history at, uh, and international relations. I had, it's actually international studies, history and international studies and a minor in East European and Russian studies from uh, what is now Wilkes University. And um, during my time uh, while at Wilkes, uh, it, my, uh, my enrollment into the Democratic Party uh, was confirmed to me uh, that that was the place I should be. Yeah, are you familiar with the, the phrase steel man? Like, uh, so to steel man something, is the opposite of a straw man. You know, a straw man argument, you, you, you take down, you know, someone's position for, by, by attacking the weakest possible point of it. I just want to ask this question, and it's a, it's a technique I borrow from some of the uh, podcasters that I look up to. Um, and I think it's useful for people, the, the electorate, uh, to, uh, to hear their politicians do this, if, if possible. Um, uh, to, so to so to steel man an idea is to um, to to make the best possible argument that you can that you think strengths strengthens another point of view. So can you steel man the Republican point of view for governance, uh, which is to say, can, can you see things from the Republican point of view? What do you think the best case uh, argument is for for being a Republican? So. Um... This is the first time I am uh, becoming acquainted with this, the, the concept of the steel man argument. Obviously, um, I am uh, familiar with the, the straw man uh, concept of making arguments, but the steel man, that's new to me. So thank you for inviting me here and teaching me something. 
Um, the current state of the National Republican Party is a mystery to me. I don't know exactly what they're for or what they're about. And it would be very difficult for me to steel man for you um, what I think the best arguments for the Republican Party are. Um, obviously, I work on a bipartisan basis here in Northampton County to get things done. Very often, the Republicans on county council will vote with me uh, with respect to my initiatives, and I very much appreciate that. Also, uh, I represent, as, as the chief executive of the entire county, I represent everybody, whether they're Democrats, independents like you, Scott, Republicans, and people who, quite frankly, aren't registered to vote. It's my job not to consider politics when I'm performing the vital human services that we provide at the county level. So it would be very difficult for me to, to steel man for you um, the best case scenario for the current Republican Party because I don't understand. I hear you. That's, that's fair. If you don't understand something, I certainly can't ask you to build it up. When I asked my friends what questions they might have for Lamont McClure, uh, the repeated question that came up was warehouses. Can you uh, share your perspective on the, the role of warehouses and the business that they bring and, and how that uh, comes into balance in the Lehigh Valley? Okay, so as a preliminary matter, we don't need any more warehouses, Scott. Um, the, we do not need another single warehouse. No more strictly logistic big boxes. Um, the days of us needing that for economic development and job creation are over. With that being said, it's important to understand the context of how this happened. So the Lehigh Valley is in the beating heart of the Boswash Corridor. Uh, the Boswash Corridor, the, essentially some people refer to it as the Acela Corridor, that corridor from Washington, D.C. to Boston, Massachusetts, roughly, is the last time I checked the sixth largest economic unit in the world, okay, in terms of GDP. I haven't checked that in a while, but um, that the last time I saw it was, it was a huge uh, economic zone, if you will, this Boswash Corridor. The Lehigh Valley is in the beating heart of it. It's right in the middle of it. And we had one thing that these logistics company needed. We had lots of available farmland. And so all of these major national and international um, logistics development companies found us. Now, remember, lots of folks uh, are new to the Lehigh Valley and they don't remember the nadir of the bankruptcy of Bethlehem Steel, which at one time had been the second largest steel company in the world. For context, at one time, 85% of the skyline of Manhattan was Bethlehem Steel Steel. Bethlehem Steel built the Navy that won World War II. It is almost impossible to describe the effect, the powerful economic effect that the bankruptcy of Bethlehem Steel had on the economy of the Lehigh Valley. It essentially created the gravity of a black hole economically and job 
creations in that sense, okay? Uh, it created that kind of gravity, just sucked uh, jobs away, all gone overnight. And so the folks who were left to pick up the pieces needed to figure out what do we do with all the brownfields? What do we do with all the jobs that have disappeared? So an ec economic development concept and regime developed wherein, you know, um, it made it locally attractive for these large uh, warehouse developers to come here. Because let's face it, as an executive, whether you're the mayor of Bethlehem or the county executive of the county of Northampton, you have a responsibility to do many different things. And part of what I have to deal with today in real time, I know I've just recently been given a little disquisition on history, but uh, right now I have to deal with the balancing the interests of economic development and job creation and land preservation. So one of the things my administration has concentrated on since I have been county executive, and this is how I voted before I was county executive, because I did about 10 years on county council, I have probably voted for the preservation of more open space, green space, environmentally sensitive land and farmland preservation than any other county official in Northampton County history. In my first term, I put $12 million in our budget to preserve farmland, open space, and environmentally sensitive land. In my second term, I will do at least that much with the hope of reaching a total of $25 million to preserve environmentally sensitive land, open, open and green spaces, and uh, farmland preservation. Scott, we're approaching our 250th farm preserved in Northampton County. We are approaching our 20,000 acre of farmland preserved in Northampton County. We have 21 county parks now. Um, we're hoping to announce in the very near future a 22nd. 22 county parks for a county of our size, I believe is rather unprecedented because some of these parks aren't pocket parks. These are massive parks. So um, we're very proud of our record of uh, open and green space preservation. I often am quoted as saying that Northampton County's future is green. And I encourage everybody who is concerned about and rightly concerned about warehouse proliferation. And remember, I said, we do not need any more warehouses. Um, they should drive around Northampton County and see how green we still are. And part of that is because of the millions and millions of dollars the county, the state government, and our municipalities have poured into farmland preservation, open space, and environmentally sensitive land preservation. Northampton County's future is green, and it's because we are fighting to keep it green. So towards that end, can you talk about what the actual mechanism is if you're if you own some farmland and you're thinking about going into the process of having your you know land preserved what what does that mean what happens are there financial transactions that happens what type of opportunities does it allow for the uh for the for the owner of the land okay scott so i i am not an expert on every detail of our farmland preservation program but here's what i can tell you Maria Benzoni is the coordinator, the farmland preservation coordinator of Northampton County. What you would do is if you're a farmer who has some acres that they want to preserve in a farmland preservation program, 
You would call up Maria. She would provide you with the application. She would walk you step-by-step step through the application process. She has a farmland preservation board, which then reviews the application to make sure that the application is in uh, conformance with the state guidelines. Because remember, the bulk of the money for farmland preservation comes from the state. Okay. Uh, and once the, that board uh, say, uh, determines that your application is in conformance with the state guidelines, they send it on to the state. And if the state approves your farm uh, for farmland preservation, uh, it becomes preserved. And it, what's called a conservation easement is then added to the deed. And then that farm must continue into farmland preservation as long as that land is passed. And are there other non-industrial or uses that that can happen on a farm like that like uh, open space not, or... not not in the farmland preservation program with a conservation easement on it there are regulations as to what percentage of the arable land must be under cultivation at any given time consistent with good agrarian practices and as i said scott when i started answering this question i'm not an expert sure. on every detail of our farmland preservation program um but uh, i fully funded 12 million in my first term going to try to get to 25 million by the end of my second term and uh, that's what i know about that all right so i'm gonna ask a question out of special self-interest due to where i live i, I live in tatami um i have seen there's there's a big area uh, right across the uh, street from Sheets in that new Tatami area that that I know has been zoned forever to become like a grocery store. Um, how can we, the residents residents of of Tatami, ensure that that zoning doesn't get changed and that that doesn't become another big box warehouse? Do we have any power in that in that matter? Uh, yes, you do. Um, but it's all at the local level. So Pennsylvania is a commonwealth. And I think what your listeners need to understand is Pennsylvania is also a right to develop state, which means the presumption of Pennsylvania law is for the developer. Okay. That's something that needs to be known. I said Pennsylvania, Scott, I said Pennsylvania is a commonwealth. And meant much of the power of government has been devolved to the local level. So all zoning and planning takes place at the municipal level. So if there was going to be a, a use given, a not consistent with the current zoning or a variance given, that would have to be Tatami that does that. Okay. And so you as a citizen and your fellow citizens of Tatami could make your voices heard on that if, if they ever came for a zoning variance or a, a special use, um, you the citizens of Tatami would go to the local level to uh, make your voices heard. So just so I'm also understanding the, um, uh, the, the rights of those who own the land, it, is there ever any reasonable or expectation of them being able to force a change in the zoning and, and then being able to force getting a variance uh who's them i'm sorry uh, the, the the company that owns the land that would like to change 
the zoning of the land. Well, so so we're getting into we're getting into the uh, and this sort is, of realm the realm of legal advice, and yeah. I wouldn't presume to give a corporation uh, that wants to develop land legal advice. Okay. I think I think the short answer to your question, though, because I want to be responsive, is no. Okay. Great. Great. Uh, you use the word force. Last question, and this might this this is from what I've seen happen in another town. Are there any um, conflicts of interest? Well, I mean, I know that there are conflicts of interest, but are but but are there any conflicts of interest that can actually matter and are legally enforceable when you have someone sitting on a town council who also happens to own a construction company who's going to be developing the land that they're you know, making zoning changes with and approving, you know, certain types of warehouses and whatnot. Uh, is, is that just sort of what happens in, you know, Pennsylvania state politics or, or are these things actually enforceably against the law? And, and, well, and that, that's a, and, and if you choose, if you think that that's too abstract a question and you want to punt on it, I totally understand. So, um, I don't know. I don't know if you're speaking hypothetically or if you're speaking of a, a, a real world situation that's occurring that you're aware of. It's, it is. I, it is no longer occurring. I know that because okay. the person so, is no longer on the town council. So I I, I will say this: um, the Pennsylvania is a right to develop state. Yeah. And the default position of most communities is not to try and uh, contend with deep pocketed developers um, when they want to do a development because they get the 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 council or the board of supervisors or commissioners generally gets an opinion from solicitors that you're going to get sued and that you will most likely lose and okay. so more often than not you will see uh uh, you will see capitulation to the particular plan uh, that's being proposed. Okay. Uh, I know that a, a big part of your focus on your job is economic development. Uh, what are we doing to attract more white collar jobs to the Lehigh Valley? So as you rightly point out, it's, it's really important for the county executive both to be concerned about economic development and job creation as well as the preservation of open space, environmentally sensitive land and farmland. And we really have been working on both issues. Now, uh, my focus since coming into office has really been on small business. And I don't know how much you know about this, but during the pandemic, we had a program in Northampton County using both CARES Act and American Rescue Fund plans to help small businesses survive the pandemic because small businesses were affected the most uh, during the pandemic, and we felt like, and and we know, we're we're backed up by economic data that small businesses, Main Street businesses, are the heartbeat of the economy of Northampton County, and we felt that we had to help many of our small businesses survive the pandemic so that they could thrive on the other end of it. And to that uh, to that extent, we put twenty five million dollars in the hands of small businesses to help them keep their doors open and most importantly, help them keep their workers employed throughout the pandemic so everybody could keep uh, body and soul together. Um, I believe we got to almost 2,000 small businesses 
that we help survive. And now many, many, many of them are thriving uh, as we move uh, through the pandemic. So um, there, there is that. Uh, with respect to what are we doing to recruit white collar folks? I, I think that our quality of life is what most recruits the so-called uh, people that you're referring to as white collar folks. Um, I think our good schools, our great park system, like I said, 21 county parks now, our, we have entertainment here, whether it's Arts Quest and Music Fest or the State Theater in Easton. Um, we, have a cult, we have a cultural uh, phenomenon that's developing that attracts people uh, like the people you're talking about. We have tremendous institutions of higher learning uh, here in the Lehigh Valley. I mean, there are so many things that are attractive to living in the Lehigh Valley that I don't think we, there's much we need to do uh, to have to recruit uh, white collar workers. I think they're coming on their own. And I'm not sure if you're the guy that answered this question, but you're who's in front of me, you know, following on to that, if you live in the Lehigh Valley, or if you were thinking about relocating here and you wanted to, you know, explore entre entrepreneurship, starting your own business, what resources are there available to help you out in the Lehigh Valley or in North well, Hampton County? Well, that's great. Uh, and I, as I said before, even pre-pandemic, I was elected in 2017. And as soon as we were sworn in in 2018, we hit the ground running trying to help small businesses. And one of the things we did was we created a program where small businesses that were in the startup phase could come in and meet with people who were experienced in uh, the development of small businesses, other entrepreneurs, successful entrepreneurs. And uh, so we provided that sort of service and we continue to, although the pandemic has made everything much more difficult, right? Um, the, the Small Business Council is here. Uh, there are a tremendous number of resources available in the Lehigh Valley uh, to help uh, small businesses get up off their, uh, you know, get up onto their feet uh, so they could contribute to what is the core, the beating heart of the economy in Northampton County, our small businesses. The Chamber of Commerce also is very helpful in helping entrepreneurs get on their feet and up and running. Um, we have a, the Greater Lehigh Valley Chamber of Commerce is excellent at, at supporting new businesses and, and does everything it possibly can to let folks know about the establishment of these new businesses so uh, uh, they can attract customers. I mean, I think this is a great place to be an entrepreneur. Great, great. All right, pivoting. Um, my wife is in mental health. Uh, what do you see as the state of, of uh, community mental health in the Lehigh Valley? What, what do you see as the opportunities and the, cha and the um, challenges? Well, so we're luckier than most because in uh, the Lehigh Valley, Northampton County, Lee, Lehigh County specifically, but the surrounding counties as well, we have two large, excellent hospital systems. So there is a, uh, at least on an emergency basis, there are many skilled practitioners of mental health to help folks when they are in crisis. Uh, but the truth of the matter is that mental health is woefully underfunded. Uh, during the height of the pandemic, um, as you know, it affected 
kids and especially teenagers particularly hard, Scott. And during the height of the pandemic, St. Luke's told me they had two, a 2,000 person waiting list for pediatric psychiatric care. Um, wow. It was almost impossible. It was almost impossible anywhere, uh, including the Lehigh Valley, to find a bed for a kid who needed a psych psychiatric bed. Um, in even in the Lehigh Valley, where we have these two large, wonderful hospital systems uh, ca helping care for our folks. So um, the state of, uh, of mental health care um, in the country at large, but uh, is, is very, very problematic. It's uh, problematic in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania because uh, the budget had been reduced many years ago. Mental health budget had been reduced many years ago and those cuts have never been restored. And obviously that trickles down to Northampton County and yeah. Lehigh County who provide mental health services. Wow, that also jives with um yeah, I was made aware uh, through my wife's involvement that the the wait list to see a psychiatrist for a child for a child in the Lehigh Valley is you know you you you're probably gonna likely going to New Jersey or going down to Philadelphia. yeah actually, you're probably you're probably not going to get to see a psychiatrist. You're probably going to see a physician's assistant trained in psychiatry. Yeah. Um, who, who was obviously directed by the physician, the psychiatrist in this case, but it's it, it's a very, very bad situation. All right, let's see. Thank you for, uh, oh, I noticed you were in, endorsed by many unions. So what do you see as the role of unions in building a strong economy? Oh, so, um, you know, I was just reading uh, this morning about FDR and, and 1935 and the National Labor Relations Act. And uh, I think the graph said that uh, that statute led to the development of the world's most successful and largest middle class. And it did. So that really is the power of unionism, right? The uh, workers coming together, bringing their collective strength to bear. And along with the GI Bill, uh, the middle class was built with the GI Bill and strong uh, unionism in the United States. Uh, I believe in the right to collect, to organize, to collectively bargain and to strike if necessary. I always have. Um, I, in my previous life, uh, was an attorney and I represented many uh, former uh, and, and current actually union members, steel workers, boiler makers pipe fitters, uh, electricians, you name it, um, I represented them. So uh, I, I came to even personally understand uh, the importance of uh, unions and, and union organization. Great. Yeah, I'm a union member myself. And one of the, the themes that I, that I see, you know, at force in the economy in large when it comes to unionized workers is that you know sometimes when when companies are allowed to get too big to fail now i'm not under the uh national labor relations act i'm, I'm under the uh the railway labor act um and so that's uh, the national mediation board uh that 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 resolves all disputes but you have these companies that get too big to fail and then you know, a bankruptcy judge comes in and dictates the contract, 
Now, as someone who actually, I, you know, I believe in capitalism per se, but I think that it is well, you know, uh, you know, girded on, on, on the sides with, with good anti-corruption regulations and letting, you know, letting labor organize, uh, if companies, and this is, this is my conjecture, and I'd just like to hear your response, but, and, and, I, and I don't even think that it necessarily comes to play on a, on a local level, but uh, be, because when I say too big to fail, I'm really talking about on a national level, but, you know, if, if, if there was actual good competition between union organized companies, uh, well, if, if the union, you know, demands too much from a company, well, then that company won't be able to compete anymore and, and it'll, it'll go out of business. But so it seems to me like the best form of capitalism is where we allow unions to thrive, but also, you know, don't let companies get so big, you know, that, that we can't have them failing. Uh, do you, do you have any response or perspective to that? So there's, there's a lot to unpack there and I'm not an expert on, on many of the things that you brought up in that, you know, throughout that question. Um, the one thing I would say is I, I am a capitalist. I believe in free markets. I believe that uh, a free market system is the best way to efficiently um, put resources out into the economy, right? It's the most efficient way. Yeah. Uh, with that being said, we need safeguards. And I think you hit it on the head. I think unionism uh, definitely is a safeguard to some of the excesses of capitalism. And so are, uh, so are safety measures. Uh, some people refer to them as regulations, but safety measures at the state and federal level are also very important. Scott, you're an airline pilot. Where are safety measures more important than in the airline industry? Um, I, can't, I can't think of one, actually. Um, so uh, these are things that serve as, I think you said, guardrails or sideboards. I, I can't remember the phrase you used, um, but you, know, you, you and I are both, we both believe in the free market. We believe the most efficient way uh, to distribute resources is through capitalism. But I, I think if I heard you correctly, you agree with me that we need to have safety measures, uh, sometimes referred to as regulations, and we need to have unions to give collective power to workers to bargain uh, for livable wages because a living wage is very important. And I think we both agree that, uh, I, I don't wanna put words in your mouth. I think we need a safety net. For example, unemployment compensation for when the free market, because the, the free market, you don't always win in the free market. Sometimes you lose in the free market. Talking about people losing their jobs, we need to be able to provide for their basic necessities and things like unemployment compensation and Medicaid and um, the Affordable Care Act, for example, are all parts of a safety net for people who fall through the cracks of a free market system. That's what I think. Uh, now, you, you, you talked about too big to fail. And, and that normally occurs, I think, in my mind, in the context of the big banks and brokerages and insurance companies um, in 2008-9 and all the trouble uh, we had then, um, which is, I think, a different issue than what I think the gravamen of your question was, which was uh, corporate consolidation, going from having you know four, five, six, seven players in a market 
now to having two or three players in a market, um, which I think is very concerning. It's not just concerning to me. Um, recently, Senator Tester, uh, I believe from Montana, uh, was talking about a bill he has pending in the United States Senate making it easier for ranchers to compete in the in the meat industry because of all the consolidation that's going on in that industry. So um, I I hope I helped. Um, yeah, no, I it was it was really more of a rant of mine, uh, just sharing my perspective, and I I I just wanted you to respond in any way you saw fit, and uh, and I appreciate your response. Um, so let's just go back to the beginning again. Uh, you were trained as a lawyer. How did you decide you that you wanted to shift from you know practicing law to getting into local politics? So. Um... I grew up in a, in a house uh, where my dad was a civil servant and my mom was a school board president. So, you know, public service was pretty much ingrained in us uh, at the dinner table. And it didn't necessarily mean you had to serve in the government, but it was something that I had always uh, thought that I might like to do. I had heard the call uh, to public service. Um, and as an attorney, I uh, saw that there was an opportunity to uh, become a Northampton County Council person because there was a vacancy on the county council. Uh, and it's a part-time, our county council is a part-time county council. So I could work my day job uh, and then I could participate in the body politic as a part-time county council person, which I did for almost 10 years. Um, so, uh, it was through that um, it was through that service that I found my avocation. Um, my vocation was to be an attorney and to practice law, but my avocation was really to be a Northampton County Council person. And you know, through that almost decade of service, it occurred to me that I had some ideas that I'd like to try and enact as county executive. So I left the practice of law and I ran for county executive. And I won and I've been reelected. And one of the things that I wanted to do, Scott, was cut taxes. So while I was on county council, and I've lost count because remember, it's almost a decade I've been on there, I tried to cut the millage rate four or five times. Okay. And I was I was always unsuccessful because you know the bureaucrats always come up the elevator and they get off the elevator and they tell you you can't do that or you'll be short next year. Um, I knew that we were running surpluses which are called fund balances, but we were running surpluses of 50 and $60 million a year. That's 50 or 60 million more of your dollars, Scott, of your neighbor's dollars um, that the county was keeping on hand for a rainy day. Well, we had been through some very serious rainy days, including the financial collapse of 2008, 2009, and it never went under $50 million. So I was really happy that for the 2022 budget, we were actually able to cut uh, the county real estate property millage uh, by, by, by one mill. That's great. I didn't think Democrats were allowed to cut taxes. Um, not, only are, <laughs> not only are we not allowed to, when it's appropriate, we should. Um, so there, once upon a time, and Scott, I think you'll agree with me about this, once upon a time, the uh, property tax, the real estate property tax was a progressive tax. 
meaning that these people were paying it because they were the ones who owned homes. Yeah. But that's not the case anymore. After the GI Bill and the democratization, small d, of home ownership, because remember with the GI Bill, you could either go to college or buy a house, okay. right? Lots of people bought a house. Yeah. And so now we're in a position where I have all of these people living in boroughs like Northampton Borough or Hellertown Borough. These ladies who are 89 years old, they might be a widow now, they're living on a fixed income and they want to stay in their house, but their property taxes are always going up. It's not progressive anymore. It's become a regressive tax for those people. And that's why I'm trying to keep them in their homes by at least doing, now I know the school, I'm not um, trying to create the impression that the county tax bill is the law. Your school tax bill is your largest tax bill, obviously. But I'm trying to do what I can on the county level to keep your your property taxes from rising because I want those people to be able to stay in their homes. Okay, great, great. Well, do you have any questions for me or any other points you'd like to to make to follow on? Because uh, if you, uh, I know you're committed to an hour, and I I feel how, like how does how does a guy that flies for Alaska Airlines live in Academy? <clears throat> I used to work for a company called. Uh, Virgin America, and then uh, this company, and I was based in New York. I, I had an hour and ten minute drive to Newark Airport. Uh, there's a lot of pilots who are based in Newark that like chose to live in the Lehigh Valley, and um, and then uh, this other company swooped in and stole my virginity, uh, so to speak, because I worked for Virgin America, and uh, and now uh, they closed the base. I, I hop on a plane. I go to I go to Los Angeles. Like tomorrow, I'm going to uh, go get on a FedEx flight and fly out to uh, to L.A. to start my trip that begins on Thursday. Uh, I would have moved out west, but my kids were in middle school and high school, and you know, uh, I believe thriving. Uh, at, and doing well. Uh, my my daughter just graduated uh, charter arts, and my and my sons go to to Nazareth, and and I feel like we're in a good spot. So I'm kind of taking one for the team while they while they uh, you know continue to you know mature and get. Well, you sound like here. a good dad. Um, what do you fly? I fly the Boeing seven thirty seven. Oh, okay. Is that it? Is that all you fly, or I just spent until january of 2021 i did 16 years on the airbus uh, 320 starting at america west airlines in phoenix in 2005 and then transferring to virgin in 2007 and uh and just at the at the airline that i'm at now i i just the 737 is the much better plane to be on for quality of life concerns it, it it's the bigger fleet it goes everywhere and it's a it's a very capable uh aircraft it's actually um even though it's not as roomy uh it, it's more fun to fly because uh you know the airbus is is a big you know giant flying computer and it's really just like a video game whereas the the boeing the, everything you touch has got a mechanical link to the control surfaces or the engines there is no uh not the same level of computer control like you like you, you I, People ask me if I'm worried about losing my job to automation. 
And as long as companies are still buying hundreds of 737s, which they are, I, my job will be safe. Do we have a pilot shortage right now? And if so, why? Um, we do not have a pilot shortage per se. It's an interesting point. Um, I grew up, my dad was an airline pilot. He flew for TWA. Uh, it was very hard for him to get his job. He was one of, he was one of two people out of 30 who interviewed for his job. And, uh, and, and you know, there were 30 people in the room. Two of those guys got offered jobs. I, 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 ever since I was old enough to know anything, I had looked up at the profession as though it was in the same strata as doctors and lawyers and all these things that were challenging. Hey, man, when I'm on a plane, I think it's more important. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah. And, and thank you for that. But, you know, as it would have it uh, until very, very, very recently, the last month or two, um, starting pay for an airline pilot, uh, you could probably do better flipping burgers at, you know, McDonald's. Yeah. Um, just, uh, yeah. Uh, you spend... 80 grand in training, you're, you're a highly trained individual and the airlines would pay you, you know, 30 grand, not the big major airlines, but their regional subsidiaries. Right. Got it. Paid you like garbage. So there does exist a whole bunch of people with commercial airplane licenses who choose not to make a career out of flying. So when you say, is there a pilot shortage? Well, yes, there's a shortage of people who were willing, who, who have commercial flying certificates that were willing to go get paid, you know, dirt or, or, or have the industry, uh, you know, set up thrown at them. Uh, you know, there's, there's, there's two ways to, you know, to handle a supply problem. There is a supply problem given the existing, you know, financial incentives of the airline industry, you know, so, so to that end, on some level, there there is a pilot shortage, but but you know I'd rather see it handled from the turning it into a career that someone wouldn't feel punished by getting into. I've got I've got a friend who's a, you know he's a director of IT technology. He would love to become a pilot, but he can't afford to take the you know the big pay cut to become a pilot. Um, and so it, it's a challenge right now, and the airlines are working their way through it, and the unions are are trying to help them and 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 i think my hope is that we're going to end up in a place in a couple of years where uh we, we have a lot more of a sustainable career where people won't be as reticent to get into it for for the pitfalls because it's like one of the reasons why seniority is everything in the industry um so it, that's also the reason why I get on a plane and go out to Los Angeles, because I've got 15 years of seniority and longevity. And if I leave to go to United Airlines right now to be based in Newark, I will make one third of my pay. You know, now and, and, and United is a better paying job than my job, but not at where I have to enter into it because I don't get credit for my 15 years of airline of experience of being a captain i go back to zero and so that those are the challenges and so when you say is there a pilot shortage yeah there's a shortage of people willing to put up with that 
but 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 there but there are more than enough certificated pilots in the in the country to fill all the available positions and so you know the, we'd like to see our our career turned into something that more people would choose because it really is you know a great opportunity without all the downsides and well thank you. i think next time we do this i'll interview you <laughs> lamont thank you very very much i really appreciate it have yeah. a great day okay thank you all right thank scott you. have a great day all right take care you too Fly safely i will thank you if you've stuck around until now thank you very much for listening you can really help me out by sharing this with anyone sharing it with a friend sharing it on social media i'd really appreciate that and that's how you can best help me out thank you very much have a great day <laughs>